Last week we ended our series on the favor of God, and uh, we're starting a new series this week on the promises of God. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, we'll be in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. We'll also be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to put your finger in both those places. And we'll be there talking about um, the promises of God and how he's faithful in keeping his promises. Uh, one of the prayer requests I forgot to pray about is uh, grace is due Saturday, so we pray that, that uh, the baby comes and comes quickly. Uh, and I pray that it would be without pain, but one of God's promises, <laughs> ladies, are you with me? One of God's promises is that you will have pain during childbirth. And uh, I don't think he's going to give you a pass on that uh, unless the epidural does really, really well, okay? So uh, just be praying for, for grace and that that uh, goes well. And uh, we're looking forward to oohing and on and holding and loving uh, this new child. So just be praying for her. Him. I was hers in grace, not hers in the baby. Him. Pray for him, the baby, but her, the grace. All right. Anyway, hey. As we talk about this idea of God's promises, um, I, I wanted to talk today about God's great and precious promises. The series is about God's promises, but today we want to talk specifically about some of his promises and uh, how they're, they're great and they're awesome and they're precious and uh, how they affect our lives. And uh, there's one character in the New Testament in the book of Acts. His name is Paul, and Paul has been, uh, he's been going from town to town, we call him his missionary journeys. He's done, he's on his third missionary journey, and he's been arrested and put in prison in Caesarea, and he's there, and uh, Felix is, um, or Festus, I mean, is, uh, had heard uh, from those in Jerusalem. He happened to be in Jerusalem, and they, the high priest and them started to talk about Paul and all the egregious and terrible things that he had done, and there, he's like, well, um, I'm going to Caesarea soon, uh, next day or so, and so I'll get Paul out of prison, and I'll talk to him, and I'll have him share his side of the story. You shared your side. I'll have him share his side of the story, and uh, we'll get to the bottom of this. And so he goes, and he goes to Caesarea, and he gets Paul out of prison, and he meets with him, and he says, Paul, tell me, they've said you're doing terrible things and, and egregious things to, to Rome and to also to the Jewish um, religion. And so, Paul, tell me your story. And so he tells him his story and tells him uh, about his, his love for Christ and, and what he's doing. And, and he listens and he goes, hmm, I don't see or hear anything that you've done that is worthy of death and, or, or even worthy of prison. He says, let me, let me think upon this. And, and while he's talking to him, Paul says, I want to go and I want to appeal to Rome. I'm a Roman citizen, and so I want to go to Rome and talk to to the king there. So send me to Rome. And so he has to, he's like, oh, okay, now you just made this really, really messy. Now I got to send you to Rome. And, but I can't send you to Rome without writing something on the paper and telling him why I'm sending you. I can't just say, here, he's guilty. Do something with him. I have to explain the charges as they listen to you and, and, and make a judgment. And so he's thinking about what to do. And, and King Agrippa comes to town and uh, he's there. He happens to be up from Jerusalem, and he's coming to town. And, and so they start to talk, and he explains to them the story. And he says, you know, I'd like to hear that story. That sounds really interesting. I'd like to talk to Paul. And he was very familiar with Paul. He was very familiar with Christianity and the start of the church and everything that was going on. And so he, uh, he said, I'd like to talk to him. 
He was the great-grandson of Herod. You remember Herod's the one that killed all the babies under the age of two in Bethlehem. He's trying to kill Jesus, and so he's killing all the baby boys, uh, trying to find or kill this new king that the wise men had told him about. And so that was his great-grandfather, his uh, great-uncle, is the one who killed John the Baptist and beheaded him. And so there's a line uh, or a history of these guys with Christianity, and they didn't like Jesus' people too much. As you can see, they're killing a lot of Jesus' people. And so uh, he said, I'd love to hear Paul and hear what he had to say. And so he meets with Paul, and he says, Paul, uh, they have accused you of, of doing terrible things against the church and, and against society. And so, Paul, what is your excuse? And Paul says in Acts 26, verse 6 to 8, first off in verses 4 and 5, he talks about the fact that he says, everyone who knows me and knows about me knows that I grew up in the Jewish faith, that I had studied in the Jewish faith, and that I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that I was of the strict line of the Pharisees, and I hold to the law with the strictest faith and, and desire to uphold the law. But something happened. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, and now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is a promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? As Paul is talking to him, he uses this term. It's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors. He could have told him about all the miracles that he had done through the Holy Spirit and through Christ. He could have talked about raising the dead and healing the sick. He could have talked about all the churches that he planted. He could have talked about all the sufferings and all the miracles that took place, how God uh, provided him and brought him out of those situations. He could have talked about all of that. He could have talked about his, his resume, so to speak. But he didn't. He could have made excuses, but he didn't. You know what he said? It's because of the promise of God that I'm on trial. God promised that a Messiah would come, and he came. And I put my faith and my trust in the Messiah that we should have been doing in the first place. And it's because of that faith and because of following and believing those promises, that's why I'm here today, King Agrippa. And the king had to make a really tough choice. What do I do with him? And he kind of goes, well, I'm really glad that you asked to go to Rome. I don't have to make a decision. He sends him off to Rome. How is your life based on the promises of God? How are you at standing firm on the promises of God? Paul believed in those promises, and so did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So did Noah, a prophet named Isaiah, his mother Mary, his father Joseph, John the Baptist's mother Elizabeth and Zechariah, and a fisher named, fisherman named Peter, all believed in the promises of God. Heroes of the Bible came from all walks of life. They were rulers, they were servants, they were teachers, they were doctors. They were male, female, they were single, they were married. They all built their lives on the promises of God. And because of God's promises, Noah believed in rain before it was even called rain. They didn't even know what you call it. What's, when water comes out of the sky, what do you call it? I don't know. Let's call it rain. Okay, it's rain. 
Before he even knew what it was, he believed in the promise of the flood, of the rain that God was going to send. Because of God's promises, Abraham left a good home for one that he had never seen. Because of God's promises, Joshua led several million people into the enemy territory called the Promised Land. Because of God's promises, David took on Goliath and killed him. Because of God's promises, Peter rose from the ashes of regret and Paul found grace, a grace worth dying for. There's a list of the heirs of the promise in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 through 17. I'm going to read those real quick. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is keeping with faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descending descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17 By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. There's a student of scripture back in the 60s who spent 18 months attempting to tally the number of promises that God had made to humanity. He came up with 7,487 promises. Some of the promises are positive the assurance of God's blessing, and some of, the po- some of the promises are negative, a guarantee of consequences for sin and rejecting God's promises. Not only is God a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. Not only is he a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. Someone was asking the other day when we were in Acts talking about some of these promises that God had made, and they asked the question, how frustrating must it have been for them to to get all the way to the promised land where they could see it on the other side and not get to enter in. How frustrating was Moses? Did he have to be? But I kind of look at it a little different. I kind of see Moses up in heaven looking down as they're coming in, and Joshua leads them into the promised land, and city by city, God gives them victory, and Moses up there going, that's it. That's what we were waiting on. I think Abraham's up there standing beside Moses saying, told you. Told you it was going to happen. God promised it, and check this out. I was 100 years old. I was 99 years old when she got pregnant. I mean, dude, I'm pretty special. I have descendants as many as 
the stars in the sky and the sand in the sea. Everywhere you look are the descendants of God, promises that God made to me, Abraham, who at that point had no children, who went to a land that I didn't even know existed, but he promised it to me. And God keeps his promises. He's not only a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. That's good news for you and I. Do you understand that? It is good news that he not only makes promises, that he keeps them. It is good news that, that I can count on him every day of my life. It's good news that not only did he make promises 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, but he makes promises to us today and he keeps those promises. It's good news. It's exciting news that we serve a God who keeps his promises. We see in the very beginning God's dependability in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Nine times in chapter 1 it says that God said, God said, God said. And when he spoke it, it came into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, separate the land from the sea, and it was separated. Night and day, and it was separated. God spoke it, and it happened. That's good news. Because when God promises you something and he speaks it into existence, it happens. It's, it's not by chance. It's not by circumstance. When he speaks, it happens. God prophesied years and years beforehand that the Messiah would come, and when the Messiah came, it was just as he prophesied. He promised it, and it happened. That's good news to us today because his promises are special. His promises are true. God did not consult with any advisors. He needed no assistance. He spoke, and it happened. And we are left with one conscience or one conclusion that God's word is sure and what he says happens. Psalms 33, verses 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a jar. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. We see also in the New Testament, Jesus had the same power. On one occasion, a Roman centurion came to him and he said, I have a servant who is sick and a soldier that is sick and, and he's going to die. And Jesus, I need you to heal him. Can you speak it? Can you say it? Can you heal him, Jesus? Jesus said, wow, I've never had a, a Roman soldier come to me and ask for this. I'll go with you and, and I'll see your servant and I'll heal him. And the centurion says, no, you don't need to go with me. As a leader, I tell my soldiers to go, and they go. I tell my soldiers to come, and they come. I tell them to fight, and they fight. I tell them to stop, and they stop. I am a man who tells people what to do, and they do it. And I believe that if you say to my servant, he's healed, that he'll be healed. And Jesus just goes, whoa. I have never seen that kind of faith in all of Israel. A great faith, he called it. And he says, it is as you have spoken, or as you have said, go, he'll be healed. And when he left and he got there, the, the soldier was healed. Jesus spoke it and it happened. He said it and it took place. It wasn't maybe it'll happen. It wasn't, well, maybe it might take place. When God speaks, it happens. When God speaks, it takes place. 
God's promises are irrevocable because of who God is. His very nature says that he can not change. God is unchanging. He sees the beginning to the end. He makes no mid-course corrections. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad his plans don't change halfway through? It's hard enough for us to figure out what God's doing without him changing it as we're trying to get there. He doesn't change. His mind is not changing. He knows what he wants to do and he's doing it. He's not victimized by moods or weather. I had a bad day, so therefore I changed my mind. Ever been there? Something you were supposed to do, something you gave your word that you would do, and when you got home, you said, I'm tired. It's been a long day. I think I'll do it tomorrow, right? Aren't you glad God doesn't change, that he doesn't change his mind, is not swayed by things that happen? James 1.17 says he never changes or casts a, sh- a shifting shadow. God is faithful. He can be trusted to keep his promises, Hebrew 10.23 God is strong. He does not overpromise or underdeliver. God is able to do whatever he promises, Romans 4.21. And God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. This verse does not say that it is unlikely that God will lie or improbable that God will lie. No, the statement is clear. It is impossible for God to lie. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, we see Peter's discussion on the promises of God. Starting in verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add, your faith, to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. Verse 7, and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing that Peter talks about, number one, by God's divine power, we have everything we need for a godly life. By God's divine power, we have everything we need for a godly life. Our knowledge we have gained through God's word shows us that God keeps his promises. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised the Messiah through the line of David. Isaiah describes him so we won't miss him. He's promised God with us, Emmanuel. God promised he would, that Jesus would be beaten for our iniquities, and by his stripes and shed blood we are healed from our disease of sin. God promised he would, Jesus would be crucified and three days later rise from the grave. God's divine power is enough. He gives everything we need for a godly life in Christ Jesus. One of, one of Jesus' promises in John chapter 14 is he said, guys, I'm going away. And when I go away, I'm going to give you my comforter, the Holy Spirit, to give you 
comfort and guidance and direction in your life. And he'll live in you and abide in you. And I'm going to give him to, to help you in your life. Because of Jesus' divine nature and our knowledge of all that he has done, we have everything we need. You know what the problem with having everything you need to live a godly life is? You have no excuses. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? Do you find yourself, when, whenever being questioned about something, always trying to make an excuse? Why did this not happen? And first thing you think is, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> Give me an excuse. Well, why didn't you do this? Uh, what's my excuse? My mom used to come in and say, why isn't your bedroom clean? And I would try to think up an excuse that would make it okay. Do you think I ever, ever succeeded with that one? No, no. There was never a good enough excuse. It was never because he, she gave you time, but you always had an excuse. You always found something else to do. <laughs> Mothers are looking over at their sons and their daughters. We always look for a chance to make an excuse. But here's the thing. Because of God's divine nature in Jesus, because of him being 100% God and 100% man, Son of God and Son of Man, we have no excuses. We have what we need to be successful. And I think more important than that we don't have excuses is that we have what we need. That's really the more important thing. It's not so much whether we can, we're going to fail or whether we're going to make excuses about failing. It's more about do you have what you need to accomplish the task. Because if God said, I want you to live a godly life, but by the way, I haven't given you everything you need, good luck. Would that be fair? <laughs> would it be fair that if he expected you to, to walk like him and, and think like him and live like him and love like him if he didn't give us the ability? Wouldn't that be horrible? It's the definition of insanity, trying to do the same thing over and over and nothing changing. But God gives us everything we need, the ability to accomplish those things, to live a godly life. The second thing we see in verse 4 is God has given us his very great and precious promises. So through them we might participate. So through them we might participate. God has given us his very great and precious promises. So through them we might participate. Those are very descriptive words. His very great and precious promises. Every promise he has given us in Scripture is awesome. It's incredible. Every promise he has given us is precious. It's special. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Aren't you thankful for that? In those moments when everything is going crazy and everything is going terrible and you don't know what you're going to do and you're about to lose your mind and God's Holy Spirit just says peace and everything becomes still. Aren't you thankful for that promise? That he gives you peace? That he gives you the ability to relax and not freak out? Don't be anxious. It's a great promise. For those of us who get anxious really easy, right? It's a great promise because it lets us know there's ability and there's a hope. And isn't that what this is all about, having hope? 
The worst thing in the world is for him to say, you've got anxiety, and guess what? It ain't going anywhere. You're going to have it the rest of your life. Good luck. That's horrible. But we have this hope that we don't have to always live that way. That God can take that away from your life, and God can, can heal that in your life. That he can give you the peace that it takes to overcome those anxious moments. God has given us his very great and precious promises, so through them we might participate. I love that word participate. When I read that, I thought, isn't that cool that God allows us to participate, that he allows us to enjoy the promises? Isn't it cool that he said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and that from him all of the descendants of the Jewish people and the Israelites, my covenant will come through him? And through you, isn't that cool? Abraham, you and Sarah get to participate. Worst thing in the world is to be a woman and not be able to give birth. It's horrible. You're married and you're wanting a child and God has said no. And your heart breaks. And he says to Sarah, Sarai, you get to participate. He says to you and me, through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross and raising from the grave, you and I get to participate in this thing called the kingdom of God. We get to be his hands and his feet. Do you know if I were to design the system for the kingdom of God, I wouldn't have chose any of you? Do you understand that? And it's not because I'm a jerk. It's because I know you and I know me. I never would have called me to preach or to be a pastor, I would have, I would have said, put him on the bench. I, I would not have chosen us, but he chose us. Not only did he create us in his image, not only does he give us his Holy Spirit, he's chosen us through his divine nature to participate in this thing called life. He gives you a child and says, teach him, love him, nurture him. Show them the kingdom of God by the way you walk, by the way you talk, by the way you think, by the way you live. Live it before them and watch what I do in their life. He didn't say, hey, scream at them, kick them, shout at them, and make sure they don't feel worth anything. That ain't what he said. That's not his promise. Deuteronomy says, man, when they wake up, talk about me. When you're walking through the day, talk about me. When you go to bed at night, talk about me. Talk about my love for them. Talk about what I've done for them. Talk about the promises not only that are here now but are to come. Wow, you get to participate. It is so cool that he chose us. And when I say I wouldn't, wouldn't have chosen you, it's not because I'm trying to be mean. I know our sin nature. I know how many times I failed God when I should have succeeded. I know how many times I let him down when I could have prospered or could have accomplished the task. And you know it too, don't you? And if you're honest, you're like, I don't know why he chose me either, but he chose me. I believe when he was hanging on the cross that when he looked into the eyes of those looking up at him, he didn't just see those who were accusing him and falsely accusing him and were killing him. I think he saw us. 
I think he saw 2,000 years into the future, saw us sitting here today and said, I love you. And I'm going to die for you and shed my blood for you so that you can live and participate in this thing called the kingdom of God. It is so cool. His promises. They're great, very great, and they're precious, very precious. Third and last thing that I see when I look at this passage is our hope starts with faith. Our hope starts with faith. Notice that the beginning of that list in verse 5, it says, to faith, add. And he starts saying all these other things to add. But it starts with your faith in Christ. It starts with your belief or you putting your trust in him. That's what believe means, to put your trust in him. Faith means that you trust God to do what he said he would do. That you believe God is not just a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. And when you put your faith in him, he says to add these things to your life. Add goodness, and to goodness add knowledge, and to knowledge add self-control. And to self-control add perseverance, and to perseverance add godliness, And to godliness, add mutual affection. And to mutual affection, add love. And he said to do these things continuously that they might increase in measure. In other words, as you add these things to your life, it is a lifetime of adding faith and adding goodness and adding knowledge. (laughs) Did you think when you graduated high school that you were done learning? (laughs) You thought so at age 18. You thought so much that you thought your parents didn't know anything when you turned 18. You thought mom and dad became stupid somewhere in your teenage years because you became so smart. But the scriptures talk about, Paul is taught, Peter's talking about, I'm sorry, Peter's talking about this this always continues, this increases the measure in your life. It continues to grow in the knowledge of Christ. I know more about Jesus now than I did when I accepted him at age nine. And I know more now than I knew five years ago. And I know now more than I knew a year ago. Because it continues to grow. As you read his word, as you pray, as you study, as you ask him, as you seek him. He says if you seek him, you will find him. These things are continual. They're continually added to you. As we close, I want to ask you these questions. What has God given you? What promises has he kept for you? Think about that for a second, will you? What promises has God given you? What promises has he kept for you? Guys, we could be here for another hour if I went through all the scriptures. Well, a lot more than an hour. We'd be here a long time if I went through all the promises that God has given you and I and how he's fulfilled them. But let's just think about a few What promises has he kept for you? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember when he says, disciples, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit? As he's given us the Holy Spirit for those who accepted Christ as our Savior, as he's given you the Holy Spirit, aren't you glad that he's never left you nor forsaken you? Those moments when it feels like everyone else has walked away and you're sitting there all alone, God says, I will never leave you and I've never forsaken you. There's strength in that promise. There's strength in knowing that he keeps it. Not only has he given you 
that promise, but he's also given you peace, the Holy Spirit living inside you. He says that he's ever-present in your time of need. He says that he gives you the fruits of the Spirit, and he promises if you seek him, you will find him. How awesome is that? In closing, we live in a world that is shaken. We live in a world that is broken, that is hurting. Since 1999, the suicide rate is up 24%. Up 24%. If that was a disease, we would call it an epidemic. It's up 24%, and yet we live in a time where we know and have more knowledge than we've ever had. We have more help and ability to help people than we've ever had. We have more resources than we've ever had. We have more hope than we've ever had. And yet, we live in a world where people feel there's no hope. They're shaken. And they think it doesn't matter. The world has taken from them their hope, their chance to to live this victorious life that I've been talking about. They don't understand that they get to participate in the kingdom of God. Instead, they look and all they see is despair. And guys, today, we need to be a a people, a light shining in the darkness, a people who shares the hope that we have in Christ in such a way that it changes your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your schoolmates, your churchmates. Because there's people sitting here today that feel like there's no hope. I hate to say it, but there's people sitting here today that have thought about, should I just end this and move on? My life isn't worth anything, and I should just check out. Nobody would even know if I wasn't here. I want to tell you it's not true. I want to tell you that God has a promise for you. He has a hope for you in Jesus Christ. And his promises are true because he's not just a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. One of the things about parenting that builds your trust in your children is when you make a promise, you keep it. You ever notice that? You ever notice what happens when you make a promise and you don't keep it? Besides the, the fit they throw in the store on the floor and the tantrum running around in circles, right? It goes bad, and their trust and their hope in you goes away. But God's never broken those promises. He makes them and he keeps them. And we live in a time that everyone around us needs to see that hope, and you have it living inside you. And I, and I ask you to share it with them. I'm going to ask Pam to come and... Uh, are you by yourself today, Pam? All right. So Pam's going to lead us into closing hymn. And as she comes, I just want to ask you that question. What's got you shaken? What is it that has got you so defeated that you feel like you can't make it? Because I want you to know that in scriptures, there's promises for you and for us that we can count on every day. Like he will never leave you nor forsake you. That he gives you peace. That his Holy Spirit lives inside you. That He is there with you, watching over you. 
that as you seek him, you will find him, and that he will lead you and guide you. If you pray for favor, he will give you favor. He will show you the way. Those are promises, and he keeps them. So what is it that you're praying for today? What promise are you holding on to? I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And how many would just say, Pastor Jim, I'm one of those you were talking about today where I feel like I have no hope. But I don't want to feel that way anymore. And I want to hold on to God's promises. And today I'm going to commit myself to holding on to his promises no matter what life is saying, no matter what it looks like. I'm going to believe him and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to obey him because I believe his promises are true. If that's your prayer, would you lift your hands and say, Brother Pastor Jim, pray for me. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. I see those hands. He loves you, and he hears your heart, and he sees where you're at, and he'll keep those promises for you. For the rest of us, would you be willing to be the hands and feet in the world around you and share that hope and share those promises by the way you live and by the way you love, adding goodness, (laughs) adding kindness, adding perseverance, if that's your heart's cry, would you raise your, head, your hand and say, Brother Jim, I want to be that person that God uses. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. He sees your hand. And more importantly, he sees your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today humbled by a God who would even love us. Humbled by a God who sees us and cares about us. The Father, before we were even in our mother's womb, you knew us. Father, you promised us eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. Father, you promised to love us, to lead us, to guide us, to protect us. So, Father, today as we ask you to keep those promises in our life, and, Father, today as we promise to live a life before those around us, that they will see that the promises are true, may you bless our lives, Father, as we commit them to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will close our service today with page 99 in the hymnal, He Leadeth Me. And I would pray that you can focus on the message of this hymn and you will ask God's leading throughout this coming week and you will feel his leading in every experience of the day.